right, gents. Go ahead, DJ. I'm throwing it straight to you because I know you got what you want to say. Go right on ahead, my brother, because right now I actually got my brother, uh, Ryan Randolph, on the other line. He on the line with me. We talking about 401ks. He just hit me out of nowhere. He was like, you awake? I'm like, yeah, he here over here. He hit me. You know, so we talking 401k talk. We talking money talk at 1237 a.m. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. So the big thing for me, it was only one of them. But when we started talking about generational cycles and generational curses, look, where I'm from, man, you know, like one of the biggest things that, that – and this is going to be controversial, like, but one of the biggest things that shackles people, I think, is, is religion. And, you know, I'm a big believer in spirituality, and I'm a big promoter of, you know, hey, you, you should definitely tap into a higher power or, or what have you. I never tell anyone what to believe, but I'm steadfast in my beliefs, steadfast. However, there comes a time when... You have to call things what they are. And this is what I've seen. And I didn't I didn't see this until I was probably 27, 28 years old. We have a tendency to give the most difficult things to, and I'm using air quotes because, again, we have people call whomever by different names. We tend to give the most difficult things to God. And we take the easy task for ourselves. And when things become difficult, we decide to do nothing. We throw our hands in the air and we say, you know what? I'm just trusting the Lord for this or whatever. Well, I got news for you. If you open that book that you profess to follow, it's going to tell you that faith without works is dead. And so you can sit there wishing all the hell you want to. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. So one of the things that generationally I think has happened, and I mentioned this in the earlier show, is that we get this um, we get this syndrome, so to speak, that we hope everything is going to work out. It, that's not how things work. You actually have to put in the effort. You have to put in the work. And when they don't work out, instead of looking at our effort or our planning, our preparation, the execution, the communication, like all the things that matter in, in bringing something to fruition, we'll simply say, well, I guess it just wasn't my time yet. Or we'll say something along the lines of, I guess that wasn't in his plan or what have you. Now, that's not to belittle anyone, but you can't do that when you're not putting forth any effort. Because the same way we talk about favor, um, you know, preparation and, and favoring the prepared or whatever, or opportunity favoring the prepared, is no different than, isn't that a blessing? How are we classifying that? Your faith is meeting your work. So I think that we have become crippled, so to speak, as a people because slave culture is pray and wait, but not pray and do. So you have to do both, in my estimation, my opinion, you know, and whoever takes issue with it can just take issue with it. 
But you have to do both. You can't pray and just simply wait forever. You have to be taking action as well. You know, there's a point in time where after you've done all you can, then you stand. But that means you're still taking action. So um, I'm going to say this now. Stop. My grandmother and her infinite wisdom used to tell me this. She said, son, you can take a shit in one hand and wish in the other. And you let me know which one will get full first. And I had no idea what she was talking about. That grandma until, was real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And because grandma I would always talk like about, I would always talk about what I wished. Like, I just wish you would not. She said, well, you keep wishing because this is who I am. Oh, I wish I had. Well, you keep wishing because this is what you got. The visual. And until okay. you, yeah, that's, yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> You, you'll figure out really quickly which hand will get full, though. So she she imparted these things on me that stuck with me, but it was it was the additional conversation with her that was important. It wasn't that she would just say these, you know, these off-the-wall things and not say anything else. She would say that, and she would say, and what I mean by that is this. You can hope for whatever. It's going to be what you're willing to work for, which is going to yield what you're actually going to get. And she talked about creating your own luck. This is a praying woman. And I didn't understand the contradiction during the time, but in actuality, it's really not a contradiction. It's, hey, you know what? I'm going to show reverence to the, the, the God that I believe in. But I'm also going to do my part so that when I pray and I ask for things, I I put in the work. She was a big, she is, she was and is a big believer in that. But you have so many people that just rest on their laurels and they say, well, I prayed about it, so I'm not going to worry about it. That's the equivalent to just saying, I'm not going to the doctor. Well, you know, if you believe in God, then don't you believe that God uh, helped? create doctors and put doctors in place to help you. So if you don't go, it's similar to the pursuit of happiness where Jaden Smith is saying, God sent a boat. Said the guy was stuck at sea. We sent a boat. The guy said, no, 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 wait on God to come and get me. And the guy sent another boat. And he was like, hey, no, I'm good. Just waiting on God. and He'll be here soon. And no other boat showed up. He's like, I sent two boats. Use your common sense. And so I think that's where we have to get to as it relates to generational wealth because we identify these curses because in, for all intents and purposes, some of us are lazy as hell and we don't want to do anything to break these cycles. Now, a lot of these things are really real and they require a lot of work and they're deep. They're, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take, it's not going to be a quick fix is what I'm saying, but the work needs to be done. And if you're willing to do the work, you can break these cycles and you can break through. But you can't rest on your laurels and you can't do the typical BS and just think that things are going to change. It takes a mind shift and it takes a willingness to do the work and have the conversations. Very few people are willing to do all three. And that's why we're stuck in what you said uh, last last uh, episode, Dr. Development Stage. We'd never get out of it. 
Yeah. Um, I think that uh, I, so when you were talking about um, sort of slave culture, um, I have trouble with trying to draw parallels between especially the slave experience and our um, experience. And, and so I because I feel like sometimes people try to judge this business part of that whole Kanye thing where he's mm-hmm. tried to say that oh well you know 400 years sound like a choice no it wasn't a choice you know there was nah. the entire government was 100% lined right. up you can see, you can read through the evolution of it and see precisely how black people were treated in this country up until the 70s and you can look at other court cases and see up through the uh, 2000s and now see how um uh, black people have systematically been taken advantage of um, by this government and, and by this system. So there's plenty of excuses if you're looking for them, right? Because those, are, they, I mean, all that is flat out true, right? Those are all terrible things, and they're all things that ought to be rectified, but I don't have a lot of confidence that they will be, right? So if you're looking for things to say, well, this is why I'm not going to do it, and this is where we are then, you know, for us now, we have unprecedented access and entree to places that previous generations didn't have. You know, you look at the race riot, now excuse me, race riot, the genocide and property seized that happened in Tulsa back in the 20s, you know, and, and you start to see, all right, this, you know, there were things that happened where the the wealth of African American people was systematically destroyed in a way that looks pretty darn intentional, right? And so, if you want to if you want to have wealth for your next generation and next generation of kids and people, um, uh, black folks, then we're gonna have to be intentional about using all of the products around us to help us get there, right? And and taking advantage of the our, our relative position and history as compared to years uh years and generations past and um and, and use what it is that we can use um now and so um that to, to me i just i feel like it's important to put that out there but the opportunity that we have now is tremendous right the opportunities that we have in comparison to the past i'm not saying it's equal and i'm not even going to go as far to say that for everybody that's out there it's even fair right there's some folks who got born with the worst of hands and and i hope that one day public policy gets to a place where we are more effective at helping those folks and setting um, a, a good base of opportunities for people so that they can live with dignity. And if they work hard, they can, you know, have a, a wage that affords a certain lifestyle to them and they don't have to worry about everything. But I also am, um, you know, I, I also want to see to the needs of the people who, who want to push to the next level. I feel like those things are, are available to to all of us. And if you're going to um, if, if you're going to have, like we say, securing the bag, having big, audacious goals, right? If you're going to have those big, audacious goals, they don't have to just be goals for you. They have goals for the next generation and how you can set it up in the Bible. What is it, four generations or seven generations that you're supposed to be able to provide for? Those are the blessings that God has out there for us. And so I think, you know, we we have a very small view of God. Um sometimes especially when it comes to our finances and we throw 
things away in that wish category like Destrian was talking about. Well, there's nothing that shows that you believe more than acting like it, right? People say they love you, and then they treat you a certain way and indicates that they don't. And you say, wait a minute, your words don't line up with your actions. If you are saying that you believe God and you have asked for these things and they align with his will and all the rest of these things, then you should be acting like it. You should be acting like you think that's the case, which means you do the things to propel you to where it is that you uh, believe through your strong faith that you're going to be able to have for yourself and your generations going forward. So then you start buying the policies. You start investing and accumulating shares in mutual funds and stocks and becoming wealthier over time with the knowledge that that wealth is going to help you do the things that you have planned and prayed for, but actually worked for moving towards. And now you're examining and measuring your progress towards those things. See that right there is, is some works. Right. That that right there shows that the faith that you put out there was real. Right. If you throw seed in the ground. It's not just the fact that the seed was planted that um, is going to uh, affect the the crop that you bring in and the harvest. Right. A farmer plants a seed in the ground. And we know that eventually something what he planted ought to come up. But he also cultivates the ground. He also irrigates and brings water to the ground. He puts his resources towards that seed with the knowledge that that seed in the system works. So if you believe that, if you believe in God, right, then you should be working towards what it is that you believe in God has in store for you, right? So, you know, even for me, I, this is the thing. It is like, all right, well, do I really believe that God has these certain media things out there for me? Well, act like it then, right? Your foot hurt. And I wanted to, part of me, because my foot, I, I, I got a high ankle sprain, y'all. I'm getting sympathy from all our listeners now. And so, uh, man, I had no idea how no, hard this hurt. Me. Man, let me tell you, I was sitting up there. Thanks, DJ. I was sitting up there thinking about, like, how in my mind I was, talking about oh, it's an ankle sprain man you bet you get millions of dollars you better hurry up and get out there back on that foot and make that money let me tell you something man right now my foot is beating now this happened today don't get me wrong <laughs> i'm just saying like i got a lot more sympathy for folks with high ankle sprains man because if something man look if, if something bad happened uh tonight and uh and and I had I had to fight somebody, man. I'm gonna be expecting Melissa to do some punching too. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't do this by myself today. I can't move around that good. So it's just a lot happening. I feel like I've lost my point here. My point. Nah, you, <laughs> but now you, my, my point you, was you, you talking about the works. Nah, you gotta you gotta act like you actually believe, right? That that farmer that's planting the seed, this doing doing the weeding, this doing the you know the fertilizer. He's putting resources all into um, into creating the right conditions for that seed that he planted because he knows that the process works. So it's your job if you acknowledge that that works, then you start. You have to do the same thing. 
right? You can't just say, I want to be a neuroscientist and then not work hard on your grades and not apply to colleges and not. But if you believe that you're going to be a neuroscientist, then those are things that you know you need to do in order to move to where you got to, you got to have the right conditions. You got to create the conditions for that seed that you have planted so that it can, it, it can bloom and grow. And, and, and that right there tells me what it is that you believe. Your actions and, you know, your dictated plans that you have out there and how those two things correspond to one another. If, if you're talking about like what I look at and say, man, this person's got it together. That's it. You know, I'm, I'm looking at what it is that you say you want to do and how your actions line up to it. You know? Hey, I just want to throw this point in there. I don't mean to interrupt, but, you know, I like to throw throw things in the mix and shake it up. Like I said, I've been on the phone with my brother. We talking 401k talk. We talking money talk this time of morning because it's morning time when we record. But I want to throw these two things in there at you, too, and I want to see how y'all fight over this. We ain't fighting because we brothers. But um, I don't think a lot of people know, you know, how easy it is to create generational wealth. And I personally believe that the industry banks on the miseducation and the lack of education of its constituents and consumers. So I'll throw that to you all. And I just want to also throw out to the point that people are listening. 401k money, pre-tax. Guess what happened at tax time? Deduction. Guess what y'all be looking for? Deduction. Go ahead. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Man, you can take it if you want it. I can, I can, I can. Go ahead. Bring it on home, DJ. I've been talking. Go ahead. Get, get it. So the, the it's not that it's easy, it's that it's easily accessible. And the un, the the gap between the understanding of those things is vast because everything comes with an understanding. And I think that's that's what both myself and Dr. Loving was laying out. Because the the saying that you can leave the horse to water but you can't make him drink is is really evident here. So let's just start with the 401k. Do you know how many people I have to tell to save the match? The company matches 6%, but they save two. I'm like, you got to save six. Why would I save six? I mean, I need my money. Yo, you're giving away money, though. How am I giving away money? The concepts of money is what people don't understand. And see, that's those are the faculties that we have to correct. It's the concepts of money. It's not the number. It's not the um, it's not the intention. It goes back to what you said earlier, the intention versus the education. The education is not there. Tax-deferred income, I'm going to get this money back later. It's going to uh, reduce my tax liability. No one's thinking about that. You know what they're thinking about? My check is going to be $2,666 if I save in my 401K. Or it's going to be $2,966 if I don't. I'm going to take that $300 today. Over 25 years, you're probably costing yourself $100,000. Stupid. No other way to say it. Just stupid. But think about saying that to someone in those terms. So you have to make it palatable. Hey, you, you should you should be saving. I can't afford to save. You can't afford not to save is what you need to be helping them understand. So anyone that gives me 
Yeah, I mean, political situation. Uh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, my bad. <laughs> that What y'all actually caught was, you know what I'm saying, my brother, I'm still on the phone with him. Like I said, we talking money this time of morning, people. Pull but, him in. What's his question? Let him ask my, the question directly. Yeah, we got a live question, first time ever on the after show. My brother, South, I call him South, y'all, you know what I'm saying, Dr. Lovin and DJ, because both of y'all in the financial industry, what he doing, like what we actually doing live right now is we playing with our 401ks. You know what I'm okay. saying? A lot of y'all playing with other things. We playing with our money this time. Oh, of man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim Beam, shout out to you. But Dr. Lovin, DJ, what the question is posed being is we looking at the mix. And if you don't have a 401k, you don't know what we're talking about, but we'll educate you at this point in time. 401ks so have a mix he, where you put in the domestic stock, foreign stock, bonds, uh, short-term yeah. bonds, long-term bonds, and we're looking at the foreign stock, uh, you know, the, the, the performance of the foreign stocks, and it hasn't been doing as good over the past year, and I attribute it to the current administration, and, you know, and we all know, it, especially what's currently going on, but, uh, South, what was the actual question you wanted to ask? What do you, do you know, just what was the general opinion on foreign stocks? I, I, I wanted to ask Dr. Lovin if, if he could shed any insight on a lot of the foreign stocks right now and where he thinks they might be going within the next three to six months based on the current political situation. Obviously, Trump ongoing with China, all of that. Where does he see it going within the next three to six months? Um, because I'm looking at making some changes mm-hmm. based on what I've been seeing over the past year. Okay, you, you, y'all heard that right. You, you know what I'm saying? Based on based on what he's been saying, he's want to make some changes, and we look we're specifically we're looking at foreign uh, foreign stock percentage and stuff. And DJ, you know what I'm saying? Definitely, both of y'all can you know well, you know get at this Doc, question. Before Doc jumps in there, you know, because he can be more specific, and on this one, I have to be a little bit more general. What I would uh, I'm getting a little feedback here, but what I would uh, what I would tell him is number one, if this is a short term trade, then you may be playing in the wrong areas. If you're looking short term for foreign or emerging market type exposure, and you need to delineate the two. So if you're looking for emerging market exposure, that's one thing. If you're just looking for foreign exposure, that's another. And you need to really look at it long term because from a broad perspective, if 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 you're looking at what the administration is doing, I, I think he's probably talking about the tariffs and what have you. Would you say that that's a more attractive buy position if those stocks in that sector were to go down? Because at some point, a trade agreement has to be worked out. So would you buy more? while it's uh, suppressed or quote-unquote undervalued or would you buy when it comes back into favor? So you have to remember uh, if you think about Benjamin Graham, the intelligent investor, you want to buy low, sell high. So what I would say is take the long-term approach. If you're looking for something more short-term, I wouldn't foreign, foreign equities may not be the place to play for short-term trade, you may want to do more R&D and look locally at something like the uh, the cannabis business, so to speak. But I can't make any recommendations. I'm just saying what you may want to do. But anytime you're looking broadly, especially uh, globally, 
you want to take a, a, a bit longer view because policy certainly affects uh, trade globally and trade globally is going to affect the stock market as a whole. So, you know, that three to six month time period may not be the proper time horizon, but Dr. Loving can go a little bit deeper on that than, than I. Well, I, and that's precisely where I was going to go. All right. Was just that three to six months um, is not usually the time period that I'm dealing with when I'm talking with people about their long-term financial goals. And when we're talking about stock ownership, these are long-term financial goal instruments, right? Your 401k is money that you will be using after age 59 and a half, okay? And so you've got, you know, 10 plus years. So having an appropriate amount of foreign um, foreign investment, I think, is is a great thing. You know, the the overall world portfolio out there includes foreign stocks too. Um, now, the the cool thing about you already being involved and having a, some positions out there is that even if you don't change anything or you're just acquiring shares as you have been before, now you're buying shares in these foreign companies at a time where they may be getting beat up based on the public policy that's out there. Because let's face it, man, the market does not – we can say whatever we want to – you can have different attitudes about how this whole thing is going to end up. But the market in the short term does not like tariffs, right? Tariffs make things expensive or more expensive on every side for the consumers. And depending on how expensive these things get, right, and whether or not people start tightening up and saying they're going to spend less, that's how recessions happen is when folks start tightening up and saying they're going to spend less. And that's what makes the market worry when they hear about the type of public policy that Trump is putting out there. So if, if you're asking what I, I think is going to happen in the near future, there's probably going to be some downward pressure on the prices of these uh, of these stocks, these foreign stocks. And those are buying opportunities, but they're only really opportunities if they're consistent with your overall strategy, right? So, you know, you you don't want you 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 don't completely dissect any one decision from the overall decision of uh, of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. All of these things are all little tools that you're using to get get you where you're going. So you don't want to get distracted by things that are going to happen. And again, distraction is easy. In this concurrence, especially political environment, there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on, right? But you want to be focused on what it is that you want to do. So if you're talking about things in the 10 plus years, yeah, a diversified portfolio of uh, of uh, stock mutual funds or, or uh, underlying stocks. Yeah, man, if, if you're not retiring for another 30 years, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to be allocating um, some towards foreign exposures. It's, uh, I think, a smart thing to do. The awesome thing is that as things go through the flux, the prices go up and the prices go down. When prices go down while you're in this position, what's happening? Well, you're acquiring more shares with that 50 100 $200 a month that you have going into those funds. Now you're acquiring more shares of those funds, of either those funds or those underlying companies when they get beat up. Right. So then as the price, as as the worm turns and it always does and the economy improves and we have a different administration, which we will one day, um, there may be there will eventually be a turn of how things go. And that 
may lead to a turn in how the price of that stock goes. And so over time, those prices have tended to climb, and that's how you win. But the best way to focus on winning is focusing on what it is that you want. Don't try, don't get distracted by by these small things. But understand, you know, yeah, there's opportunities in there. Maybe I leverage a little bit more. Maybe you know, instead of putting a hundred, I put a hundred and fifty a month over these over the next year or so into these uh, these foreign funds because I, you know, there's a lot of flux. You want to remember buy low and sell high. So if there's opportunities where you think, man. They, they, they ain't seen beat up over here. Not beat up because they're antiquated and it's going to be gone, but beat up just because, you know, that's politically what's going on and the president doesn't like China. China's going to be back, right? China's not going anywhere. It's still the world, a world power, right? So, yeah, you might have got the issues. Let's definitely let people know. China has more people than we have here. Right, man. And, 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 and when, I, when I say more, I mean way more. There I'm not, are... Well, that's, over a billion people in China. There are not a billion people in America. Yeah, well, the, the the key the key the the key differentiator is this though. If you if you look if you look at a, a foreign uh, comf- a country like China, their middle class is just now developing. So I want you to think about you know what we were told the American dream was and how long that was sold to us as Americans. And that was the hallmark of the economy and the stock market. You buy Where's houses. my 40 acres and a mule? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you keep waiting on it. But <laughs> <laughs> we, we talked about that, man. Like until we unite as a people and a culture and we demand something, that's not going to happen, you know, and, and the way it needs to happen looks a lot different than what the conversation previously was. There, there needs to be some type of fund set up that you can apply to, but that that's a whole, that's a whole different conversation. But for the purposes of, uh, for his question, if you think about what the middle class did for the, the U S economy for probably 50 years, just understand that while China has his issues in terms of reporting and uh, you know, people will tell you that, and they're probably right that they're, you know, uh, bolstering numbers or they're not being very forthcoming. You can't deny that their middle class is growing, that their level of education is probably one of the highest or the standard in the world today. So when you look at the skill that their middle class is amassing, the way in which their country is set up from a governmental standpoint, I want you to think about that. Think about the benefits that the U.S. had for 40, 50 years. They're going to be receiving those benefits. So I would encourage him to think about things in terms of a full market cycle as opposed to the three to six months, specifically when you're talking about your 401k. Now, we're talking about something that, you know, you got a, a individual retirement account or just a brokerage account that you're able to make trades in. That's far different. When you're talking about money that you're not going to access for another 25, 30 years, you want to deal with full market cycles because it allows you to take full advantage of the peaks, the troughs, the valleys in the market. And like Dr. Loving said, you're going to be able to accumulate more shares at specific points in time where things are being beat up. Now, if something completely goes to hell, you know, maybe you want to get out of it. 
But if you, I'll give you a perfect example of buying opportunities. Think about um, years ago when BP and Shell were getting beat up with the uh, the oil spills or what have you. People who were astute investors said, this is a perfect buying opportunity for me. I'm not getting out of this. This is BP and this is Shell. They will spend whatever amount of money they need to spend to right this wrong. Where are they today? Seven, ten years later, full market cycle. For uh, for those that are listening, a full market cycle is considered seven years. So seven-year market cycle, seven to ten years. So 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 real quick, and you know what I'm saying, definitely, you know, this is something, you know, a lot, if you've been listening to the show, you know that this is something that's never been done before. We got a live question, and we got live Q&A going on right now, and this may be something we implement, but I forgot to preface this question because the nature of what me and my brother are doing is, you know, we're trying to hit licks. And if you know anything about it, you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm talking about, you know. We just trying to take advantage of a situation. We gambling people, not real big gamblers. We ain't going to Vegas dropping a hundred grand, a thousand on the table and that like that. But small time gamblers, we, you know what I'm saying? We go to the horse races. We go to the, you know the we you know, we on FanDuel and things of that nature. And a lot of y'all are. And let's be real about it. You know we got a lot of colleagues and stuff that you know gamble on. You know, whether it's the lottery or anything like that, horse racing, betting, sports betting. And, you know, you take a small amount, you can turn it to a large amount. And honestly, that's what stocks and bonds are for. It's small time, you know, it's small time or big time gambling. If you got a couple of dollars, you go buy some stock. And like we've said, buy, buy low, sell high. But I wanted to throw that preface in because I forgot to and see if that manipulates you all's response to it is what we're trying to do <laughs> and what he's trying to do is, no. you know, Nah. We got we got some stocks going down. We got some some foreign foreign stocks going no. down in price. So we no. trying to increase it. No, listen. So, so hold on, hold on. Hold on. He said, "Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Sal." No, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm listening. I want to hear what he got to say. All right, go ahead, DJ. He yielding. Okay. Can you uh, can you mute your mic? I, I, I'm giving. Thank you. So. It, it doesn't change what I have to say from an overarching perspective because, again, this, this goes back to two things. If we're talking about our 401ks, again, the, the, that goal, that goal, that strategy, that's a long-term investment. That's a long-term goal. Making peripheral changes along the way are important if something – it's not going to, uh, like Dr. Levin said, if this is going away, if this is something that's going to continue to be part of your strategy, now we're talking about percentages. We're not necessarily talking about direct dollars because you got to remember your money's being split between all these various things that you're investing in if you're talking about a 401k. So maybe your form percentage goes up and you want to equate a dollar amount to that. But when you're talking about short-term trades, now you're getting into a space where you need a brokerage account set up. And if you're going to manage that brokerage account yourself and you're going to take on what we would call, and Dr. Levin, you know it better than me, the fiduciary responsibility of that account, you're assuming a significant amount of risk because you don't have the pool of investors 
backing you the way that you do in your uh, 401k or your mutual fund, so to speak. Now, individual positions are different in this way. That risk is yours and yours alone. You're responsible for the stop loss. You're responsible for everything, the, the, the sell order. You effectively become a portfolio manager. And what I can tell you about people with limited time is that if the people with all the time in the world, if, if they're dedicating their time to getting this right and they miss, your ability to properly time the market is nearly impossible. So when Dr. Loving talks about a diversification strategy, that's your key to success. There will be obvious moments where you're like, hey, I definitely need to take advantage of this. And that's great. But overall, the time that it would take to day trade an account to be up on the research that's uh, appropriate to to know when to move or what the, uh, what the volume is going to be, uh, where the price targets are, are you going to listen to the earnings calls? There's so much more than looking at a chart and saying I should buy now or just news. News will news will cause knee-jerk reactions, but it's going to be the fundamentals. Or if a, a particular sector of the market is out of favor, that's going to drive your uh, decision to buy or sell. So, again, I would keep everything more long-term. If, if it's not viable for a year or more in your 401k, I wouldn't do it. That's just me. But if it's something personal, like AJ is saying, like, hey, you know, I want to gamble. I want to make some money. Now we're talking about my E-Trade account. Now we're talking about my share builder or my ING account and I'm willing to take some risk. But let me let me say this before I wrap up. Understand that what your, your risk is tied to the also tied to the institutional investor who has the ability to move the market. So if you're investing $1,000 and you're making moves, keep in mind that there's an individual out there that has the same um, ideas around making money that you have, but when they take their $800,000 out, that significantly moves the market for you because they are X percentage of the overall investment. And now the market pullback looks a lot different. So when we talk about making moves, we have to keep in mind that they're relative to what larger investors are able to make. So safe place for you is 401k, make some safe decisions, what have you. You want to take some risk? They need to be extremely calculated. Suppressed stocks and bonds or what have you. And like Dr. Loving said, when it's low, you want to load up. But being strategic and understanding that three to six months, things can really move, especially if you're talking about bonds. Now, if you're talking about stocks and you're talking about foreign, three to six months is probably not the place for you to be because, again, policy needs time to play out. And you, you can't. You can't dictate what the news does when there's a, a 600 uh, point drop in the market because 200 billion in tariffs were released. Is that the type of risk you want to try to manage? 
So those are all things that you need to think about when you're when you're looking at those things. Now again, that's my opinion. No, most definitely, and we all, Dr. Lovin, I don't mean to cut you off, but we definitely want to preface all of this with we are not here to give specific financial advice. Uh, all of this is, you know, for, for lack of a better word, it's opinion, and these are our, you know, this is how we feel. But I will also preface this with the fact that Lovin are in the financial industry, as well as my brother that's on the phone, uh, Randolph. They've all worked in the financial industry, and I forgot to also preface this with the fact that what my brother, the larger point that my brother was trying to, you know, interject into our conversation because I told him he's a part of this now is the fact that, they, you know, when it comes to 401ks, especially those of us who are working people and we have access to our 401ks because I know me personally, I can log into, I just recently, they sent me an email. I can go into an app on my phone and I can manipulate my 401k. My brother has the same, uh, has the same options. I'm pretty sure DJ and Dr. Loving also has the same options where we can log into some kind of account, just like we log into our bank account and see our 401ks and we can manipulate it. I didn't even upload it to my phone. I I mean, Right. You ain't got to because you look you think a long term is just like, but what my brother the larger point was it was it was more along the lines of liter uh you know, financial education and literacy is look at these things and oh, talk absolutely. to someone about it. And you know, exactly exactly. I know both of you all are, are huge advocates of that because I was telling my brother and that was a point I was making with him was when I first started working for my first corporation I opened up a 401k just solely based on the fact that they told me it was like, here's this option. And I was like, sure, why not? And, but I had never had the conversation of 401k with anyone previously in my family. Granted, my grandfather's had pensions, which if you know the difference, they are not the same. Pension is not at all. Pension, you gonna, you gonna get this and you gonna get it. And it's guaranteed. 401k is basically a, a stock and stocks and bonds trust that you have made for yourself that can fluctuate with the market like everything else. But pension, pension is there. So, yeah. you know, the conversation about pensions was always had before one K was a very minimal conversation. And I think it's a minimal conversation with a lot of people, not just including the African American community. But the point that we wanted to make was if you have access to these things, if you are working a job now and you have a four one K or you have access to one, it's definitely a good thing to open one up and talk to someone about the way that these things work because like we're doing now we're moving our things around, and it's something that me and my brother, we do a lot, and I've had this conversation with other people, you know, uh, different, you know, financial people and things of this nature. It's okay, and it's a thing that you can do where you can go in and manipulate your percentages, and, you know, for lack of, you know, I, you know, I have a, st- a brokerage account. DJ talked about that, where you work with, a, and I want to, I want to also let people know, uh, Share Builder with Capital One does not exist anymore. I had a Capital yeah. One account it is yeah, now with e-trade yep. right so now you're with e-trade so that's what i have now i have an e-trade account i also have an ally invest account where i buy individual stocks and bonds and etfs mutual funds and things of that nature where it is it is um what's where i'm looking for it's on its own it's a brokerage account it's not a it's not a 401k mm-hmm. but a 401k is 
uh, in a sense, it's it's almost like a mutual fund where you have a mix of different things that you are investing in. You have like yeah, said, that's exactly you, what it is. Yeah, so you got the domestic the domestic stocks, foreign stocks, uh, short term bonds, long term bonds, but it, you have different percentages that you are in. So if you got thirty percent in foreign stocks and and then within that thirty percent is broken down into percentages of different individual stocks. So you may own, you know. 5% of Baidu, and Baidu is a, you know, a large uh, international company. You may own 5% of, uh, you know, the, the, the Facebook equivalent of Alibaba. You know, Alibaba, you made a, the, the, the Chinese equivalent of Facebook, which I can't think of the name of it. It might be Baidu. But, you know, you own different percentages of that. But like DJ alluded to is with a 401k, you can't necessarily, necessarily manipulate the actual amount of stock you have. With a brokerage account, you go in and say, let me get 5, right. 10, 20, 30 shares of this. But with a 401k, you're owning a percentage and you can't necessarily manipulate that. But what my brother was really alluded to was the education portion of it. And If you're talking to someone who works for your 401k company and you have a real conversation with them, they should let you know that you can indeed go into your 401k and you can make certain changes, which a lot of people don't know. A lot of people look at a 401k like an insurance policy. I pay my premium and I just let y'all handle it. But you can go in and if you talk to people and you talk to the right people, basically we just wanted to, you know, push the conversation of financial literacy and financial education further, whereas, you got two, and his point, his exact words were, you got the tools, use them. If you have the ability to go into your investment account, specifically your 401k, and see the various percentages that you have, and you can make small changes and things of this nature, like Dr. Lovin and uh, Destrian alluded to, right now we're in a down period, buy, buy low, sell high. So if you, if you know, it may be, and we're not giving specific advice, but right now if you think, if you want to take a, take a move, you know, increase your contribution at the simplest. Increase your contribution so that, you know, now you get, you're acquiring more of something at a low time. That way now it's worth more when things get, when things work themselves out. But that was more of, you know, the way that we were trying to push the conversation and push the narrative of the education portion because people don't know these things. Like I said, me, myself, I had a 401k and I never touched it. Because I just was under the assumption it was like an insurance policy. Put a little bit in, pre-tax. I get the tax, you know, the deduction in the back end. Put a little bit in, and, you know, later on in life, I'll get a little bit. And that was, you know, that's basically it. I'll let y'all handle the rest. But, you know, it's beneficial to talk to someone who is dealing with these things and know, like, hey, what if, what if I change my mix up a little bit? And, you know, for those of you who have 401k, you know what I'm talking about when I say your mix. Like we said, you got a certain percentage of certain sectors and industries and things of that nature. Let's mix it up, you know, because of current conditions and things of that nature, because we, like Dr. Levin alluded to and DJ alluded to, the market moves every day. If you got stocks and you look at it every day, stop. That's my advice to you right now. Stop. If you got stocks and you're looking at it every day, stop doing that. It's stress. Because let me tell you something. Stocks is a lot, stocks has a lot to do with perception, and the media controls a lot of it. And we'll be honest about that. If they come out today and say something bad about a company, them stocks gonna drop. When United Airlines had the whole mix up with the people and kicking people off planes, guess what they stock did drop. But guess what they're doing right now? Back to what it was. 
But I just wanted to throw that in there, you know, to keep the conversation going. Go ahead. And I want to I want to clarify one thing. So you uh, you refer to stock ownership as gambling. And I think I've heard I've heard this more than once, especially in the black right. community. And I want to I want to clarify what you're buying. Right. When you buy a stock, you're buying ownership in a company. Now, that's different than gambling, right? You buy a lottery tickets, you got a chance at a win, and usually that chance is pretty doggone minuscule, one in a, you know, a, a quarter billion or something like that, right? In terms of right. uh, the big game and all that. And if you go to casinos, let's be real now. The reason <laughs> that that casino exists and can be so beautiful and money. they can bring, man, they bringing you endless cognacs. Do you know there's a button that you can push? And if you go through, you know, you can order the button. I learned this the last time I was in Atlantic City. You go through the little uh, field where you can, you know, you can order a drink right there at the little nickel slot machine. And I thought it was all just mixed drinks. What I found is that if you go further in there, you can buy straight cognac. Man, I bought a whole bunch of cognacs and was sitting up there playing nickel slots. Maybe spent 75 cents. I don't know. And uh, in terms, but uh, I, I definitely drank a lot of cognac. And the reason that I say this is like, when you're going to, when you go into a casino, when you're buying lottery tickets, those are entertainment things. Sometimes people win, don't get me wrong, but it really is a little pick me up, feel good, right? And it's fun. And, you know, sometimes people win. I'm not saying don't play. Make sure that you play responsibly and recognize that that's different than an investment. When you purchase the stock of a company, you are purchasing the present value of future cash flows um, after expenses that are coming to that company. Right. You are you are the owner of essentially the future of what it, what that company is going to generate. And these companies are designed to make money, right? And so it's not like gambling where the house usually wins. Always and we win. get, and we get, yeah, exactly. Well, we can indicate that by the fact that they're able to pay all these salaries, build new locations, offer you a scrimp, and, uh, a scrimp lobster and, uh, steak buffet. All of those things come because people aren't, aren't winning. When we talk about people investing and holding stock over time, that's the way that wealth is held and grown and, and, and passed yeah. down. When we talk about generations, passed down to give your next generation uh, the, those op- those big opportunities, right? And so well, I, I well, want to make, sure. make sure. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question there, um, because I think this is important as we we, we talk about. The, the path that you're going down, um, I mentioned to the gentleman earlier that, hey, are you going to listen to the earnings calls to see, are you going to look at the fundamentals? Are you going to look at the balance sheet, et cetera? Can you talk about why that's important? Because I think that's really what you're hitting on when we talk about the fact that it's not necessary a, a, a gamble because you have tangible information that you can tap into to allow you to make a decision. How would you make that decision? Because I think that's a part of the education that the uh, that the brother is asking for. So that sure. balance sheet, okay. that earnings call, those types of endeavors to be able to say, here's where the company is going, and my return on investment is going to still be strong. Yeah, so when I was talking about those cash flows that are likely to come in, 
that's precisely the information that you're getting, right? You're getting information about what the company owes and what it owns, right? What the debts that it has and the value of all the assets, the plant, the equipment, and all of the things that they've made in terms of inventory, all of the value of all of those things, right? That That is part of the information that you're getting um, from the company, from usually within the company, they have people who are in investor relations and it's their job to talk to the big institutional companies that hold um, stocks and own that and own that stock. Right. They don't want they want those people to be informed so that they can, you know, they, they can act and and, and 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 purchase more of the stock. Usually the investor relations people are trying to paint things where you can see a positive future of the company. And that's why how the company is trying to run itself. It's trying to position itself so that it can take on the most profitable um, opportunities in the future and make itself more valuable over time. And they want to reflect that to you in terms of these are the things that um, – that we think are, are, are going to make a positive impact, projects that we have and all of these things, so that you as an investor will say, hey, this looks like an opportunity. I feel like the cash flows are going to go, grow enough to compensate me for the risk that I'm taking. And what's the risk? Well, the risk is that, you know, over time, the, the value of the stock is going to fluctuate. Other people aren't necessarily going to see the right. um the opportunity is the same way you see them or the people in the company see them, right? And, and everybody's value or percep- perception of how much their stock is worth affects um, the bid and the ask prices that we see on mm-hmm. a daily basis in the market, right? And so those things are going to affect how much it's worth in the short term. But I would encourage you to think again in a, in, in a manner that centers it on these tools and what you want to accomplish and how these companies, these particular companies, and some of them are foreign companies, fit into your overall portfolio strategy for what you're trying to do long-term because these are long-term investments. And then like uh, like DJ said, hey, in the short term, you might want to go from 5% to 8% um, international because right. you see short-term opportunities. It's okay to make them, those kind of switches. And I want to see the, the fact that you're and having we, we, this conversation for me, like this is comfortable. Oh, yeah. This makes me feel good. Oh yeah. Right. Because you're yeah. talking about different stockholding positions within a 401k instead of talking about just having one, because there are people right now who are under the sound of my voice who have a 401k and probably have a whole bunch, if not all of it allocated to cash because mm-hmm. The and they're not participated in the market at all. At, at all, right? At all. So you you're not even using the tool for the purpose it's created because you're using it almost right. like a savings account. Now the 401k that IRS numbers its rules with numbers and then a letter, right? Five. Um, they they the 529 plan is the IRS rule 401k, right? You know they they will they this is an IRS rule that allows you to put money away and get a tax benefit, which says basically like you didn't make the money right now, so you're not charged taxes on it. And then it also allows that money um, to be invested in stocks and you don't have to pay any taxes on it as that money grows. That's how a 401k works. The IRS rule says, hey, no no taxes for you. Normal brokerage account every year. You're going to have some capital gains taxes for anything that you sold and made money on. IRS is going to get his money. 
Okay, so if Rule 401k allows you to designate account, uh, accounts in a certain way where you don't have to pay taxes on it while you're working and accumulating funds. And then at age 59 and a half, you can start drawing from it. At age 70 and a half, you have to start drawing from it, right? And um, then you pay taxes on it as though you're earning income then, okay? Or, so that's, that's, the, or that's what a 401k you talk about the Roth? Can you talk yeah, about the we, Roth we, as well? I'm just saying, I just wanted to, just In because general. we talked about the Roth, yeah, the, the, well, about gotcha. the 401k. I just don't, I don't want to get too far into the products. My well, point is that, my point is that, understand, like, a, the, the 401k is really just a a tax treatment of the this investment account for you. And so, by by virtue of it being just a tax treatment, there's not necessarily going to be any um, stock investment in it unless you make the election for that to happen. So you, I, I want you to make sure that you know what's in your account. So the worst mm-hmm. thing, like worse than not than checking your account every single day is seeing the value. Not checking it at all. Yeah, not knowing what's in it. Period. Right. Or so how your allocations are being. One one second, AJ. One Go ahead. Second, AJ. Um, now being that being that uh, this brother is from the south, I'll use this specific example. Um, he may be familiar with it, especially being in, uh, a student in terms of the financial sector. If you can remember Enron, right, and you remember um, how they changed their accounting practices to report earnings in a certain way, none of those employees ever read the reports. None of those employees ever looked into the debt to income ratio of the corporation, they didn't look at the balance sheet or what have you, because they were basically, they, they used a marketing principle called mark to market to say that we'll mark our price based on what the market will allow us to price it at. We don't have to account for expenditures, et cetera, and we're just booking, like Dr. Loving said earlier, future revenues. This is why it's important and why I brought it up earlier to say, hey, are you taking a look at what you own? Are you looking at the financial analysis? Are you looking at their uh, you know, annual report or what have you? Because all too often, we make investments based on the news. You need to make investments based on the facts as well as how the news reports those facts. So that, that's a key thing, right? So you want to combine the two. And if anyone was looking at Enron closely, they would have saw they were cash strapped and that, you know, they were top heavy and they were basically using the employees to funnel themselves. So in order to avoid a situation like that, you know, certain types of reporting is has been made mandatory and you should educate yourself around that. So Baines Oxley and, and things of that nature. But like Dr. Loving said, the mere fact that you're having this conversation. I want you to think about how many people are just putting all of their money somewhere and not even talking about this or asking a proper question. So when you think about generational wealth and how it's built, we said it was one of the key cornerstones was communication. You're asking the right questions. Now it's about aligning what your desires are with the proper tools to accomplish it. And I think that, you know, obviously author author does a lot. 
um, and and Dr. Loving does a lot. I'm restricted in what I can do in a lot of ways based on my occupation. But as it relates to my 401k, what you guys are talking about is not foreign at all. I take a look at what's happening and I go, okay, I definitely need to increase my foreign exposure or I need to bring my foreign exposure down. Those are called tactical shifts. But those are not meant to be long-term. Your strategic weights or shifts where you're allocated at are meant to be the most impactful to your portfolio. Those are just things that you change around the edges. And so what Dr. Loving said is true. The fact that you're taking a look is good. How often you take a look can be debated or what have you, but oftentimes the more change you make, the less effective or the less alpha or addition you're adding to that uh, that portfolio because you have to allow things time to play out. And, and I'd preach patience to you and the rest of the listeners because if you look at a standard market cycle, it tends to yield better returns than what the person that's trying to do a lot of timing and shifting does. You, you look over the history of the stock market, I think is returned over 10% or close to it. That's, that's just if you're fully invested, which leads to the, uh, the point that Dr. Loving was making about folks that's using it as a cash instrument. If you're not going to be invested in it, you're almost throwing money away. Almost. It's better than a CD, but not much. And real quick, I just wanted to interject. That was that was another point, the continuation of me and my brother's conversation on this, you know, this, this behind the scenes. And was he was saying, you know, if you're 25 and you're making six figures and you got a 401k, it will behoove you. And these are his exact words. It will behoove you to go in and educate yourself on how that process works and play around with it because you can afford to, you know, in a sense versus. Yep. Being that same 25-year-old putting into a 401k, letting it be stagnant and letting them decide for you, and then taking 500 to to $1,000 post-pay, and, you know, if you work and you know what post-pay means, right. taking that, you know, taking what your expendable income, putting it to a stock account, buying individual stocks, and then sitting there watching them, and you lose out versus, you know, like we said, the alternative is you got this pre-tax money, which is coming off as a deduction when it comes tax time. And you putting, you know, hundreds, if not thousands into it based on your contribution. You're mm -hmm. young and you're making a decent amount of money. You have expendable income. Mm -hmm. Don't take your expendable income and do what your 401k has the possibility and the, 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 the privileges of doing, you know. But that is that is part of the, 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 the vast, massive an elaborate conversation that is financial literacy and education, which, you know, like we, you know, as we've come to the, you know, as this conversation, like DJ said, has fleshed itself out, we know that this deep of a talk didn't come, you know, in our upbringing, not to down shame no. or down try to upbring with, no. you know, we've had the conversations about saving and it was very basic, but the real conversations now, especially as, technology and you know society advances is you know and i and i and dj has heard me say this and dr Lovin, you know and this will be the first time you heard me say this my brother on the line he's heard me say this is we preach this ownership within the african-american community you know some of us are blessed to have 
you know, grand grandparents or, or great grandparents that own land and own property, parents that own land and own property, and we know what at some point it'll it? come down. What are you gonna do with it? Right. Because what in the basic in the basic scheme of accounting, land, yeah, it's an asset, but is it really? You know, let's really look at it. You pay a property tax on it unless you got some kind right. of exemption. So now it's a it's a liability. You got to pay on it. And if you it's know, a house, you got to pay insurance. So now, what? guess what? You got a liability. Are you letting it make money for you? Unless you know, unless there you got you know. the home house and you living in the home house, that's your home, that's your place of residence. Sure, now you pay. You know, you're doing the regular thing. You're paying your your insurance on it. You're paying the property tax on it. That's fine. But let's say you got your own stuff. You paying a part. You know, you paying rent somewhere. Or you paying a mortgage on your own house, and your grandparents have left you land. And now you gotta pay property tax on that land because me, Ma, Grandma, Papa had the exemption. <laughs> you know, in some states, if you over a certain it age, you're paying exemption or exactly. You pay they paying a, a discounted or an exempted rate, but it doesn't yeah. transition to you. So now you, you know, you in your twenties, thirties, forties, now you gotta pay the regular price of property years. tax. So what are you gonna do with this? Because years. you don't live there. You don't live there. So what are you gonna do with it? So well, now we got to go ahead, DJ, go ahead, because you already know what my point is. My point, was, I'm, I'm going to say my point, and I'm going to throw it to you, go ahead. is we got, you know, for those of us who have had, you know, semi-conversations around this issue and generational wealth and things of that nature, you got the land. How is it working for you now? Because otherwise it's a liability. Make it work for you. Go ahead, DJ, because you already it, it, It's not even that I know what you're going to say. It's just like at the at the crux of it, it's about income generating activities, right? And if you're not generating income, you're just you're 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 sitting on it. So you're wasting time and you're wasting money. So as it relates to land specifically, and you and I have definitely had conversations around this. We've both been in this situation. What are we gonna do to monetize it where is not a uh, a liability, but it becomes a true asset and it pays us. So again, these are because earning. Type I don't mean missions. to interrupt. I don't mean to interrupt, but I got to. Cause oh, let's fine. be honest, because I've seen this situation time and time again to where we inherit things mm -hmm. that people have worked literally years. Because we are not too far. You know, I know for a fact, me and DJ myself, we are. You know, we are direct descendants of the South and Dr. Levin, I'm pretty sure can trace his back to the South to where, you know, we know, you know, there our great grandparents or great, great grandparents were probably sharecroppers, which means mm -hmm. they worked their ass off to get a little bit of something. And that little bit of land is what the home house is on and that our yep. parents and our grandparents grew up on. And yep. at this point in life, you know, we so far removed from that, we've let it go. Or we sold it off for nothing, and it was no, like, you, or it was taken from you, or or, or taken, taken from you, because taken we from didn't you based on the value of the land. Exactly. Go ahead, go ahead, keep going. I just want to throw that in there. You know, you, yeah. Look, and I ahead. mean, I, I think I think that's important because if if someone is willing to take something for you based on its value, it shows you uh, what I would call the intrinsic value of of, of the land or the property. It's similar to what Dr. Loving said is, okay, what are future values discounted back to present day? And that's why land was taken from people because 
the future value of that land was so vast and so rich that people knew that, hey, owning land is going to be the way to generate wealth in the future. So the whole promise or idea of 40 acres and a mule was generated on that pretense alone. Now, if you look at where we are today, just owning land doesn't mean anything. See, before people harvest the land, they, they cropped it, they, they went out and they worked that land, they tilled that land. That's not a skill that most folks have today. And ironically, ironically, people that look like us on this call don't have that skill today either. The vast majority of sharecroppers or farmers in this country today don't look like us. That skill was passed down and, and given to generations of families that owned slaves because it was extremely lucrative. Now, as you move on and build upon that narrative, going back into what your brother uh, Randolph was talking about, how do you how do you uh, invest and how do you properly allocate based on the information you have? All of it comes down to the same basic principle, and it may seem, it may sound simple, but it's hard to do because of impatience and a lack of discipline. Dr. Loving said it earlier. You need to develop a broad strategy for what you want to accomplish. Now, that by itself, left to your own devices, is hard because if you haven't had those conversations in your household, how the hell do you even know how to set a strategy or what to come up with? And if you don't make enough money to afford a financial advisor, where do you find this information at? Well, let me close the gap. There's no excuse because you can find anything you want to find on the Internet if you do enough research. There are other tools out there like robo-advisors that will guide you. You don't necessarily have to sign up for them, but they'll give you questionnaires and information that may help you. But if you work for a company, the questions that uh, Randolph was, 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 was posing, you should be asking those questions of your 401k administrator because they are responsible for answering them. Hey, if I'm going to invest in a foreign stock, um, what's what's my what's what's my current exposure of my risk? Can you help me understand the underlying investment, or can you put me in touch with the fund company, a sales rep from the fund company that can explain my underlying exposure? It's all out there for us. We don't ask questions, and I'm very proud and I'm very happy that this brother is asking questions because ultimately it enables him to make more impactful and better decisions. So as opposed to say, let me put 30% of my allocation in foreign, or I'm going to reduce it from 30 to five, whatever information he may have ascertained tonight or whatever research he may do, he's going to make a better decision. And at the end of the day, the goal of this podcast, the goal of sharing information is to help the listeners, our friends, our, our family make better decisions, more informed decisions. AJ talked about it earlier, owning land. Are you earning anything from it? You need to make a better decision. What are you doing with that land? You can contact T-Mobile. And I know you know this, AJ. Hey, T-Mobile, you want to put a cell phone tower on my land? I'm not using it. And by the way, you guys are now responsible for cutting this grass that I've been paying 
this guy a thousand dollars a month to do. So there, there are so many ways to generate passive income with the things that we've inherited, if we have an inheritance. But then there are also so many ways to create an inheritance for the next generation, and we're not thinking about those things. We need to get back to some very serious basics. And I talked about this in the last episode. I'm going to talk about it again. I, I hate I, I I hate to interrupt, but it's no, going not, to add. not a problem it's, at all. You know, honestly, and you know, for for historical reference, we got to get back into the mindset of the sharecropper in a sense, because you know, in those times, and if your family ain't from that, look at it. You know, when it when it was the time of the sharecroppers, they were invested in simply trying to make something for. They were trying to create generational wealth. Yeah. That was their whole goal. Like the, the the premise of sharecropping was like, look, you work this land, you own it, and they knew that ownership was the gateway to create generational wealth, and that was the first step. And honestly, with the benefici with the beneficiaries of that era. In a sense, you know, our generation is the beneficiary of the era of people who were, we were the, they were the, our grandparents, our great-grandparents were the beginning of the generational wealth conversation because they were the first ones. Hmm. Really look at history and look at the timeline and see how far, how far removed we are from certain situations and understand, right, understand, truly understand, and I know for a fact you know, Dr. Loving, myself, and DJ, we are, you know, Dr. Loving was raised in Chicago, but I know for a fact that his relatives had to have come from the South. DJ and I grew up down South. Dr. Loving, the only difference is Dr. Loving's ancestors were part of the Great Migration, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. You know, where they where they were able to create that, that, that first move to like, look, we got to get out of here and go <laughs> right. somewhere else where opportunity is prospering mm -hmm. right now. Our well, people probably. and DJ's people st stayed around, possibly because they already mm -hmm. had a had a had a nest egg or had something going for themselves, owned something. So it was, you know, it behooved them to stay. But the the, the point being made is, we are the we are we are truly the beneficiaries of those people who had the beginnings of the conversation, and it is our responsibility to continue the conversation and build on that conversation. Because like we said, we were taught the importance of ownership, but were we also taught the importance of let this land work for you? Because unless you're going to live on it and you're paying a bill because you live right. here, what is it doing? Because I live in New York and I own property in Alabama. What is that property doing for me other than being a bill? Right. I got to make right. it work for me. Let me rent it out for land. Let me rent it out for hunting, hunting leases. You know, mm -hmm. these and these are the conversations that need to be had amongst ourselves and our, you know, our families, our communities, everywhere. It needs to be had in general. It doesn't have to be a, a racial conversation where only black people are talking about this because there are white people in our same situation who are struggling and we are we have more in common with each other than we do apart. The conversation needs to be had. Look, your people own some land too, right next door to my people, and both of us right. paying property tax on this land, and we ain't making a dime from it. Maybe we, we need, need to collaborate merger. and rent yes. our land out to somebody who wants to be a farmer who doesn't have the land. Maybe we want to rent this land out to somebody who wants to hunt. 
but doesn't live here and lives up north and wants to come down south and hunt. Because let me tell you something about Alabama and Georgia, baby. We got some of the best hunting land in America, damn near in the world. And people are paying thousands to lease yeah. and rent land, open land, to hunt deer, quail, turkey, hog. I'm country talking right now, but I'm being <laughs> real. But it's well, important, AJ, though, like, because at, at the yeah. end of the day, like, when you talk about the value of land, the the value is just like we talked about the seed earlier, is what the land produces, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're growing something on that land and you're selling that crop that you grow, boom, that's what it's worth, right? If it's land that's adjacent to communities that are growing and you have businesses that are going to want to acquire that land so they can sell goods and services to those growing communities, boom, that gives the land value, right? Now, the taxes obviously go up as the value goes up. The more that people want to pay for it, for the expensive crops that it can that you can cultivate there or the opportunities in terms of uh, what the companies could do if they had that land and the ability to sell there, that is, you know, that that's where the action is in terms of the price appreci- appreciation on land. But my, my dad always says this, and this is important too, right? If you own land, you own it jointly with family members, you got a whole bunch of action. Y'all having family meetings and calls to decide who's going to pay what and and all the rest of these things, you got rifts because one person didn't pay their part or didn't pay it on time or people are arguing with one another about the property taxes and all the rest of this. Do not confuse action with productivity or activity with productivity, right? So many times you get repeat caught that, up repeat in the... That, repeat, that, that, repeat, that, repeat, repeat that, 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 repeat that. Do not confuse activity with productivity, right? So many times we get bogged down in all of these details and all of the this, such, and that that you got to do, but you know, you, you've missed the entire forest for the trees, just like AJ was talking about. You're not leasing it out for hunting. You're not growing anything on it. All you're doing is paying bills, and basically you're holding it in the hopes that eventually somebody else who is more industrious than you will want that land because it has a, um, the ability to be used for one of those things. Dr. Lovett, Dr. Lovett, listen, let me tell you something, man. Look, 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 listen, listen. We are all on such a wavelength. DJ, did I not have, did I not say those exact words to you the other day? Literally, literally, I've had, I've said the same exact words to DJ a couple of times over the past month or two to where we, like I said, we are the beneficiaries of that generation to where like some of us own something. We own some land or something somewhere. And then like you said, we got that land and we hold it on to it in hopes that somebody's just going to come pay us an amount that's, you know, worth what we think it's worth. Grandpa paid $50,000 for this land, and somebody going to come along and pay us $100,000 for it. We held on to it for five or ten years. But guess what they're going to do? They're going to come and buy that land for hundred grand, which is 50000 more than what uh, Paul paid for it, and they're going to turn it into a commercial area. They're going to get his own for commercial, and now they're making $100,000 a month on the property that you sold for $100,000 one time. And it's the same exact thing I talked to DJ. But we we've been having this conversation. It's like we own the land. We're not making it work for us because we're holding it in the hopes that somebody's gonna pay us what we think is worth. And now, guess what they're gonna do? Because if they come in and pay come us on, that, man. 
If they come in to pay yeah. us that, they already got a plan in mind. Ain't nobody just going to buy. Nobody's going out to buy land to go hold it. Let me tell yeah. you this right now. Ain't nobody going well, to buy land to hold it no more. You know, unless I mean, you already, unless you got a hot tip. Like if you was living in Mount Meg, you know, not Mount Meg. If you were living in, uh, if you were living in Hopewell, Alabama, Mount Meg. and you had some farmland back in the day, if you lived in West Point, Georgia, before uh, Hyundai and 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 uh, and and Kia came, and you knew that there was possibly a possibility, just like Amazon talking about building another headquarters, and you buying property up in Long Island City, New York, thinking that they're gonna come and you know buy it out, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Buy you some land. That's gambling. Buy buy you some Listen, stock man. and some land. Hope for it to come. But other than that, if you holding it waiting for somebody to come along, guess what they're gonna do? They come in to buy it and they're gonna make way more than you ever thought they're you could have made. They take they're it. They take it from you. At the end of the day, like what you're really saying, not even really saying you you said it. Like they're taking it from you. And they're going to do what you should have done with it or what you didn't think to do with it. Because if we're really being real here, this is politics at its finest. So the way that I define politics is the art of making a decision, but you make it when it no longer matters, but it benefits you the most. Mm. So even if you think about, you think about the freeing of the slaves, like that's politics It's the art of making a decision. But you delay it and you make it when it benefits you the most. You're giving a Economic. little bit too much education right now. You're giving a little nah, bit too gotta, much education right you're gonna now. You're going to have to take all. You're going to have to take all of this. You won't get this work. You don't have to get it because the economic improvement for the country was substantial. Because now you have all these people, quote unquote, being taxed in the workforce, uh, buying things, so on and so forth. Mm. But 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 when you talk about it being political if you delay it long enough where it's more beneficial to you now when banks and i think dr loving has talked about this previously the rates that bank were charging african-american people to own own the same land they say they were going to get was astronomical or businesses so with no credit no income what this is why credit was established because you had none you had no relationship. You had no credit. So from a political standpoint, I can now put laws in place. that I can take from you what I've given to you legally. And so that land was so vital and so important that it became a political ploy. I can take your land from you. I can take your business from you. But if we think about the very best of who we were, and you go back to Oklahoma, like Dr. Loving said, and you think about a black Wall Street, everything was purposeful. And it was done in a very decent and orderly way. Political folks want to make money too. And remember that. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, you can make money. The problem was the money was staying in the community too long. You don't have that problem today. We give it right back. Right back. So if you were to three to five minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh yeah, it's less than seven minutes is is the is the uh is the number. So if if you have an idea and you have the land, you need to look back from whence you came in terms of our historical references and, and like you said, look at what 
some of the folks have done in generations prior. And we need to advance those efforts and reconstruct and reconfigure that in broader society and go into those strategic partnerships and make sure that we have the emotional intelligence and that we're being intentional about our brand and that we're, you know, uh, doing all the things necessary to make sure that we are uh, approaching opportunity and overcoming obstacles, et cetera. And, and we, we continue to walk our way through these conversations. We're breaking generational cycles and we are building generational wealth. So if you just think about what you're saying we need to do in general, it's building upon the very first podcast all the way through this one. Those are the action steps. Those are the action steps that need to be taken in the community at large, in society at large, because hear me clear when I say this. If the African-American community does better, the American economy does better. If we make better decisions with our capital, the American economy does better. And we benefit as a community, the economy benefits as a whole. But it starts here now with us. And and that's the real crux of it. So the questions that Randolph is asking, the, the, the questions that you're posing, the responses that Dr. Loving is giving, all boils down to what steps are you going to take to make these things happen? And I would say, if you don't do anything else, go back and look at the topics for each podcast. We didn't build this podcast to um, basically yield the, the return that is yielding tonight. But every episode has been a building point to answer the questions that's been asked tonight. So what do we do? How do we get there? How do we build generational wealth? Strategic partnerships. Build your power circle. You need to have some emotional intelligence. You need to build your brand. You need to be intentional. You know, you um, you need to be able to um, overcome opposition and meet challenges. You need to be able to break generational cycles. And you need to begin the process of building generational wealth. And I can't script it any better than that. That's that's those are the action items that need to happen, and that's point wow. blank and period. Wow, I I right now my mind is blown because you know even you know being a part of this and you know literally hearing you put it into words, DJ is you know like 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 you said we didn't build this. It's not like we said we're gonna do this this. We're not gonna we're gonna we're gonna create episodes with this topic, this topic, this topic, this topic, this topic, and lead up to this topic. All of this is purely organic. And the conversation that we, we, we have had and are having tonight is ultimately the, the, the penultimate of, you know, what needs to be said and done in our communities. And in a lot of communities, we'll say, you know, because everybody ain't raised the same. Um, but I also want to point out the fact is this doesn't mean this is the end. 
<laughs> this is just this is really like, hey, y'all have heard y'all have read the foreword to what we really got to say, and now is when we really have the ability to talk now because we gave we we've given a lot of uh foundation to the ultimate goal of all of us, which is to like Dr. Levin and, and DJ and myself always allude to is better in our community, people over things, putting ourselves, our friends, our family into better financial situations, better better situations overall. And, you know, from episode one until now has really, like DJ said, been a groundwork and, you know, a foundation laying of basic, you know, minimal steps and actions to take to get, you know, get you to, a starting point because like we said in the last episode of breaking generational cycles, it can start or it can end with you. Like your family could have been wealthy up until you, and then you be the one that messed it up or your family could have been poor up until you, and you be the one that changes that. But the hour grows weary. So Dr. Levin, I'm going to throw it to you to, you know, close it out on your end and then DJ, I'll throw it back to you and then we'll, we'll close it out. But I just, you know, I, I I hold it. I hold it. Go ahead, Doctor Levin. Yeah, and I'll be I'll be brief here. I just uh, you know, I it's funny how this whole thing evolved, right? It is it's pretty cool that that we go from talking about what it is that you do to be successfully to be successful professionally, and then how you take um, all of the resources that you you've put together and amassed and worked with folks to be purposeful about what your future is going to look like and the future of your family and the future of the people that you care about is going to look like. So that, that, you know, that we can talk forever. You know, when I talk about having a show in the future where we talk about all the things that you do, I don't worry about running out of ideas and things to talk about in terms of how finance affects families and people, right? We have so many stories out there, right? But in terms of what it is that you need to do, to make this work for you, that's the most important part, right? Taking these ideas, listening to them, and starting to craft um, a strategy for yourself and then a strategy and having real big audacious goals that make sense and that you can quantify and you start to put things together. And then you start to plant those seeds and you do like that farmer and you act as though the things that you have that you have prayed for and work for are going to happen and you continue to cultivate and then you measure and you harvest and you continue to thrive. Right. And that's what, that's what, uh, life is about is, you know, planting and harvesting on its, um, on its face in terms of, in terms of living with the, the, the opportunities around us and what's plenty. Right. And so, we have to we have to be aware of the things that are there, and I think that I like this. It's almost like a a tie for the first season. All these TV shows are are having their uh, crescendo moments, and maybe this is our first little crescendo. And then uh, I will be. We got a lot more for you, right? But the fact is, when when it comes down to it, you know, if you can start thinking purposefully in this way and acting purposefully um, in accordance with some of these things, man, we'll fill in some of the details of how to get there um, as, as we go forward. But the the biggest thing, the most important thing, the thing my pops, I know I say this all the time, my pops always says this to me, the biggest part 
is making a decision and saying, this is what I'm going to do going forward. Boom. Once you've made the decision, not a wish, not a hope, not a, a decision. Now you start putting your efforts, your resources, your plans all in place in order to make those things happen. So I encourage you all today to listen to what we've talked about and then make a decision and act on it. That's all I've got. Beautifully and well put as usual. DJ Alto, do you? I um I recently had the uh the privilege and uh benefit of listening to a keynote from a gentleman by the name of Jesse Itzler. If you don't know who Jesse Itzler is, I suggest you uh you Google him, follow him on Instagram and uh also his wife, uh Sarah Bankley, who's the inventor of Spanx. Um when I listen to Jesse he talked about a couple of things that resonated with me, but one of the most profound things was how he viewed time. The way that he views time is unique, but it's the application that's the most beneficial. So if you think about your time and you think about, you know, you relate that time to generations, he says that one of the biggest uh, mistakes we make is that we base our decisions and our time on calendar years. So we look out and we say, we'll, we'll reevaluate this next year, we'll do this next year, or we'll review this annually. He said that what he does for his, we talked about it, big audacious goals, he gives himself 90 days. And he runs after it with everything he has. And while he may not complete the goal in 90 days, he's put himself in a position to absolutely complete it within that year. But he moves on. You can work on it ancillarily while you move on to something else. He has another focus, so to speak, for 90 days. But he can work on those other things on the peripheral. By doing so, he challenges himself to do something big every 90 days, which means that he gets four times more things done in a year than most people. Now, what's unique about Jesse is that he said in his speech that talked about generational wealth, he said he slept on 18 couches, but he went from sleeping on those couches to selling a business to Warren Buffett for $5 billion with a B in less than 18 months because he stayed true to some principles. Okay. We can uh, flesh those principles out at a later date, but just think about what he did with his time. He committed big audacious goals every 90 days as hard as I can. And I think that we need to do the same for ourselves and our families as it relates to generational wealth because we don't know if it's going to be us or the relative that's laying on the couch with that dream deferred that's going to be the one to break through and create that generational opportunity for our families. While we all have the opportunity to do it, some of us are in a better position to do it than others. It's up to us all of us 
like Dr. Loving said, under the uh, sound and guide of my voice, have the conversation. You don't know what fire you might ignite in someone to be a catalyst for change generationally for your family. And secondarily, you don't know what the benefit of that conversation might be to you personally to be able to go out and affect change. And then again, finally, I just like to uh, remind our listeners and encourage them to take action. If you have a aging loved one, which most of us do at this age, they won't be with us forever. And also consider yourself. Tragedies happen. Ensure yourself. Ensure your loved ones. It's as much as two fast food meals a week. It's worth the sacrifice. And I would hope that our listeners see it as such. And again, if there's something that you're going through and we can be additive to you, please reach out to us through our various mediums, whether that be Instagram, Facebook, or our our personal websites. Um, It is a gift to have you listen and is also a gift to be able to talk about things that we do amongst ourselves and share them with you and have the feedback that you give us. So I want to thank everyone that listens. I know that we're all appreciative, but from, from me to you, thank you. As always, I'll begin by saying I am wholeheartedly appreciative of both of you all for sharing your knowledge with myself and our listeners, and I'm pretty sure I speak on behalf of our listeners in saying that I appreciate both of you all for, you know, doing what you do. Um, I'll be like a Southern Baptist preacher, and I'll give you three points. <laughs> Habits, intention, and life insurance. Uh, it takes 18 to 254 days to create a habit. Let's start creating one. One of those habits being communication. Like, you know, like we've stated, and it's been a thing you're doing this after show and, and, and most parts is, uh, we are the direct we are the direct beneficiaries of the generation who were the you know the workers and the doers. They understood that ownership was a necessity, so they owned. It is our responsibility to take that ownership and make it work for us now to create generational wealth. Otherwise, we pass along what we see as an asset which is truly a liability because we're in a bill on it. Now we pass that debt on to the next year. We pass and land on, we own something, but let's, let's continue that conversation. Intention versus education or intention and education. We know a lot of us were raised in households where savings were taught Being model citizens were taught. Having and owning assets were taught. But practical steps and education and the next step was not given. We watched our grandparents work hard and own. We watched our parents do the same. But the actual education portion of how to do it was not taught. We had the example, but not the education. Mm, I like that. I got to write that down. Having the example and not the education. 
Let's change that narrative. And life insurance is a challenge. If you ain't got none, go get it. That's as simple as I can put it. If you do not have any life insurance on yourself, go get it. I know for a fact my job gives me 25000 and I don't pay for it. My job pays for it. But I can't trust them. I can't rely on them. I got to go get my own. 25000 ain't going to do nothing. We already told you at the top of the show, seven to $9,000 is the average cost of a funeral. And we already know. <laughs> Let's be honest. We know how we like to roll when it comes to death. So you're going to need way more than that. So if you don't have no life insurance, go get it. Challenge. Stop eating that McDonald's, Burger King, Applebee's, Chipotle, Panera Bread. Sacrifice a little bit for a lot. Because if somebody walked up to you and was dead serious and said, if you gave up $5 a week, and I promise you, when you die, I'll give your family a quarter million dollars. Wouldn't you take it? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we thank each and every one of you for listening. And as always, you can find us on our various social media and web domains. And to find that and much more, you can visit Dr. Ajamu Loving, PhD at AjamuLoving.com. Destrian Wells at dwellsconsulting.com. I got it right. And you can visit myself, AJ Woodson, at mmbbgw.com. We thank you. We appreciate you. We cherish you. You are our assets. And you pay off because if you're doing good, we're doing good. Like we said, this is the Brethren Podcast, baby. Bread, B R E A D, because we always talking about bread. And we always getting bread. And we appreciate you. We love you. And good night.